Hey friends, Kevin Makins here, and uh, we are uploading two podcasts at once because we weren't able to get last week's podcast up in good time. So uh, if you're listening to this podcast, there's either one before this or after this that is uh, either Nina or me preaching on those weeks. So make sure to listen to both those if you are interested. Also want to let you know that Holy Week is upcoming. Next week is Holy Week, the week leading up to Easter. We're going to be having a Good Friday wake for a righteous man, which is our unique take on Good Friday, as well as a celebratory service on Easter Sunday. Check out the website for all the details and things that are happening during the season of Easter. We'd love to have you get engaged in that. That's enough for now. Enjoy the sermon. The sermons. Grace and peace. Very good. So we're going to be reading a really, really well-loved passage together this week. Um, It's often called the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the two sons. And uh, it's often helpful when we're uh, giving, when we're reading a parable of Jesus's, that is these stories that he gives that are sort of from ordinary life that give us a taste of what the kingdom is like. It's helpful when we're reading those stories, those parables, to take a second to think about, okay, why was Jesus giving this parable at this moment? Uh, What question was he answering? What did the people want to know? And so I'm going to start by reading the first couple verses of Luke 15. I'm in Luke 15, if you want to follow along. And then we'll read the parable together after that. So Luke starts by saying in verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, the Pharisees are the religious elite in Judah and Israel, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus tells a parable. He tells a series of parables, actually, and we're going to skip down to verse 11, if you're following along, to read the last of these sets of parables. And um, But what we can read here is that Jesus is answering a question, and the question is, from the Pharisees, why are those people here? Why are they here, Jesus, those tax collectors and sinners? I don't understand why you're letting people like that here. And that's a question coming from kind of two places. Firstly, it's a theological question, actually. The Pharisees would have known very well that there are whole entire complicated purity laws that were written, kind of annotated into the Jewish law that actually didn't allow for certain people to be around certain people at certain times. There were sort of cleanliness laws. There were people who were unclean and clean at different times and all this. And so they would have known that. And so they were kind of asking a theological question. Why aren't you following our system, Jesus? But it is also, of course, a bit of a, it's a relational question, an interpersonal question, which is sort of more of a question of the heart, right? They're asking, Jesus, don't you find those people disgusting? We find those people really, we, we're really off put by those people. Aren't you too? I don't understand why you don't see what we see. Those people, they, they're terrible. <laughs> and so they're asking the question for two reasons. And Jesus responds, uh, as I said, with a series of parables, and he offers this one as part of that. Verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. 
the younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set up for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine, and that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He had longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but he had no one to give him anything. When he had come to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So I will set out and go back to my father and I'll just say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of those hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants, asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. The word of the Lord. So maybe as you're as you're reading this parable, I wonder if any of us are able to notice in ourselves similar questions that the Pharisees had. We all have it, right? We have moments where we're like, why are they here? Oh, I can't believe, am I going to have to talk to that person? Ooh, no thank you. Maybe like in this story, those people are in our own family. Who knows? We, we, all have those, we all have those days. And maybe we're coming here today listening to this passage and we're kind of like, ooh, today I'm kind of like 
the Pharisees, or in this story, I'm kind of like one of those older brothers. I've done everything right. I deserve to not need to put up with those people over there. Maybe that's where we come today. But I also wonder if some of us are coming and we're kind of like, well, I would think of the tax collectors and sinners who are sitting at the same table as people who they probably know don't want them there. Maybe we come and we're like that. We all have days like that too, don't we? Days where we feel kind of like the younger brother, like, oh, I'm just so aware of how many people don't, don't agree with my lifestyle or who don't believe that what I'm doing is right. Or maybe you even know that what you're doing isn't right and, and, and you need to come back and you're like, oh, I know that, I know that the father is going to just tell me to be a slave. I just, maybe we come with an attitude characterized by that younger brother, knowing man, I have strayed far from home. Maybe we wonder, I, maybe I could just be a slave, just prove my worth, defend myself in this way, hustle to right my wrongs. Maybe that's how we come today. Maybe we're a mix of both. Interestingly, both these questions, these questions of am I allowed here and the question of are they allowed here, both of those are answered by looking at who God is, who the Father is in this story, the person called the Father. And it probably won't surprise you to hear that there are more and more kind of psycho-spiritual studies that are coming out that sort of indicate to us that um, our own experience with fathers or parents in general really affects our view of how we understand God, God as our father, God as our parent. There's a, there's a serious correlation between how, we, how our experiences have taught us what parents are like and who we understand and or who even just how we relate to God even in our subconscious. There's a lot of complicated ways in which uh, our understanding of who God the Father is gets complicated by our life stories. And so maybe some of us come and we're thinking about God as the Father, and we are, because of our conditioning, because of our life experiences, we picture God as being kind of neglectful. I, I was thinking this week about um, the movies Home Alone. I was thinking about the parents in those. I mean, they were terrible parents. They were just always neglecting their child. The child is always, I don't know if you've seen it, but the child always ends up like at home because they forgot about him, which is devastatingly sad. <laughs> but I think of this, these parents who time and time again, and, and I think, well, maybe some of us can do inventory and notice, oh, that's how I kind of understand God. I'm kind of always left at home and wondering, um, you know, how do I make sure that when problems arise, like this kid at home alone, I, I can be resourceful and I can sort of figure it out for myself. God, he's never around, so I'll just figure it out. Sometimes that's how we picture God, the Father. And maybe others of us come and we have understood God to be quite authoritarian. We've understood him to be a, like, you just follow the rules and that's what you do. And, and when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about how the Dursleys treated Harry. They were just always like, do your job, just stay out of our way, be quiet, go to your closet under the stairs, and just leave us alone. <laughs> and, and I mean, this is often, I mean, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, how many of us come to God and we assume that he's saying, just follow the rules, just be passive, don't make too much noise, leave me alone. Sometimes that's the image we have of God the Father. 
And so it's really good news in the midst of our life stories and all the stories around us of who fathers are that Jesus plants right in the middle of the Gospels a story about a father much alike to the true God, the true God that we see storied in Scripture. And this is who we read about in this story. The good news is that the true God is not neglectful, not overly authoritarian. And, and so what is he in this story? I think this story shows us just a little glimpse of who God is. And some, some spiritual teachers have called this God the Father the great allower. God the great allower. And I mean, if you're a parent of young toddlers, you're like, okay, I don't know if a great allower is a good, like if I were a great allower all the time, my kid would be eating candy and my house would always be a mess. I don't know about great allower. And, but I mean, I don't think that that's necessarily what the, what the spiritual teachers that call God the great allower mean by that. I think that more what they mean is that God trusts you enough to let you make mistakes and figure it out. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a time when I was quite young. I think I was probably six or seven, and I was at my grandparents' house. My grandparents had a chicken farm, and they had donkeys, and they had horses, and the, they were fenced off by, you know, those, like, electrical fences where if you touch them, you get a little buzz, and, um, and it hurts. My parents would always say to me when we would go to my grandparents' farm, Nina, don't touch the electric fence. Don't, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. And I was like, why? And they're like, well, it'll hurt. I was like, but but will it? Will it? I don't know. You know, and so I, I remember one day I was out walking on the farm with my parents, and I was like, I'm just gonna, and I'm sure that they saw me kind of just go, eh, just curiously, like, maybe I'll just give it a shot, and they reach a point where they're like, okay, well, she's not gonna die, so maybe I'll just allow it. Maybe I'll just allow it, and they, and they let me just, like, touch the wire, obviously, and I was like, never again, never again. They were right. They were right all along, and, and, and this is, I think, what I, what I think of when I think of God as being the great allower. They, he, he'll let you touch the electrical fence. He'll let you do it. A good parent, I think, trusts their child to figure out what's best for them at some point, right, and to let them make mistakes along the way. And in that way, they, they're granted the dignity to be like, okay, maybe, maybe I can start to make good, good decisions somewhere along the line. The father radically allows. He allows in the sense that he has no ego, right? He has nothing to protect or defend. He doesn't need you to be any particular way for his sake. He's radically involved, right? Like, he's not at all neglectful. The father in this story, I mean, he was probably constantly peering out of the house being like, is my younger son home? Is my younger son home? Is my younger son home? Enough that when he finally is home, he notices right away, right? Not, not at all neglectful, but he just doesn't need to, he doesn't need a win. He doesn't need a control. He doesn't need to put you in a box and say, stay here, do this, do that. God the great allower. Henry Nowen, who's a spiritual teacher, has a beautiful book on this uh, parable. In fact, if you're looking for something to read, it's just a phenomenal text. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And he writes about the father this way. He says, oh, how the father would have loved to have talked with that younger brother, right? to warn them of any, any of the many dangers that they were going to face and to convince them that at home can be found everything that they search for elsewhere. How much he would have liked to pull them back with his fatherly authority, right? To hold them close to himself so that they wouldn't get hurt. But his love is too great to do any of that. 
He cannot force, constrain, push, or pull. He offers freedom to reject his constantly flowing love. That is the father, the good father in this story. I mean, not only is God the great allower, but I think even, maybe we could even think of it as one step further. The God evidenced in this story, the father in this story, is a God of grace. And grace is this kind of Christianese word, but I think what we mean by it is that it's this reality that's embedded into the cosmos that God the Father made, that it's not always tit for tat, that it's not always, it's not always do good and receive good. You, in fact, I think grace is knowing that good things can happen to people even if they don't deserve it. It's this idea that there's no balance sheet in the kingdom. You know, the father, the father, when the son comes home, doesn't say, well, you did this, 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 and this, but I'm okay, sure. He, he didn't do that. He, he just was like, let's start a feast. He doesn't withhold his love for absolutely any reason. There's nothing that the sons could do that would cause the father to hold back his love. That's who God is. And this is true if we're thinking about Lent, where we are in the church calendar. The reason why this is true is because Jesus Christ, who's the second person of the Trinity, he's, he is God himself. He allowed for suffering. He allowed for evil to be put on him. The same way that the Father allowed for suffering when he let his son go off. He allowed for it so that he could go all the way into the depths, all the way into death and suffering, so that he could name grace down there. He could name all his grace and come all the way back up to find grace in all things, so that everything can sit in the light of grace. Christ, in some ways, is the prodigal son, right? He paves the way to the far country so that he can pave the way back for all of us who are far off to come near again. All of that is because of grace. This is all very good news. This is very, very good news. And, and one of the reasons why it's very good news is because it allows for there to be radical spaciousness for you to be exactly who you are. The God of grace, the great allower, trusts you enough that you are allowed to be exactly who you are before him. I think one of the really interesting things that struck me in the passage this week is that the older brother is actually allowed to be exactly who he is. The father, the father allows for him. He says, everything that I have is yours. You are always with me. You are allowed to come before God being stuffed up and indignant, saying, why are they here? You're allowed. You're allowed to pray to God, God, I just actually, I cannot stand those people. You're allowed to pray those prayers. There are plenty of them in the Psalms, in fact, even, where, where David or the psalmist is just like, I just hate, would you just smite those people, God? That's not the Bible. You're allowed to be the older brother before God. You are allowed. If you find yourself as being the older brother this morning, and I mean, we have, I have many of those days too. We all have them, right? Let's just remember... Let's remember this, that just because the younger brother, just the same way that the younger brother doesn't need to be a slave, doesn't need to be one of his hired workers when he comes home, the same way that the father says, yeah, no, you're my son. You don't need to be a hired worker. You don't need to be a hired worker before God. You are allowed at the father's house, not because of your good behavior, 
You're there because you are loved and washed in grace, just like the rest of us. You are allowed to be the older brother before God. You are also allowed to be the younger brother before God. You're actually allowed, you're allowed to wander off. That's okay. If you've had seasons where you've been out in a far country, or if that's where you are now, that's okay. You're actually allowed. You're allowed to do that. The Father totally allows, and he even says, hey, here's some of my inheritance along the way. Be well, be blessed. Go figure it out. <laughs> You're allowed to be that before the Father. And of course, just I do know it pains his heart for you to not be with him, right? Just like any good father, it pains his heart for him to know that, oh, that guy, he's going to end up hungry and sitting in a pen of pigs. I just know it. That pains his heart. But you're, you're allowed. You're allowed, and there might be a companion for you to have in, in your satchel for your journey along the way. And that is honesty. Honesty is what the other younger brother ends up exemplifying way when he's out in the far country and he's hanging out with pigs and he's wanting to eat their food and he's sort of like, oh, maybe craving pig food is a red flag. That's when he became quite honest. Honesty is, what, uh, is, is, is when we are honest not only about our shallow desires, right, those like kind of egotistical desires or those selfish desires that we have to protect ourselves and to control what's around us, those, those desires are often what lead us into the far country sometimes. And I mean, they're allowed, right? They're, everything's allowed. But true honesty, that like real deep, deep honesty is when we're able to tap into our deep, deep desire that we truly do have within each of us. And what is that deep desire? It's the desire to be allowed by God. It's the desire to be loved without any conditions or prerequisites. It's the desire to be honest before the God of love and say, yeah, I... I ran off. It was silly. I'm silly. But I'm here now. And to experience God allowing the most honest you to be the most honest you. The question that I think this passage begs for each of us that I'd like for you to take with you from here and to maybe find some time to chew on and to think about and to meditate about this week. The question is, will you allow the great allower to allow you? Will you allow the great allower to allow for you? Sit with that. And see what bubbles up for you when you sit with the possibility that there actually is an all-loving father, a perfect father with a warm and safe home who wants to allow for you exactly as you are. And it's when we allow for ourselves to be allowed that we're actually free. We're completely free. Richard Rohr is a spiritual teacher, and he puts it this way. He says, our true selves, true, true, deepest self, needs only to be fully themselves and generously show themselves, and then the major work is done. The major work is done when we can go back, to, and then we can go back to the Pharisees' original question, their why are they here question, and as holy 
image bearers is the language that we use as image bearers, people who are quite like the great allower, Christ, we can allow for them too. We can look in the eye people that we didn't want to see around our family table, um, and we can say, I allow for you, despite your differences, despite our diverse ideologies, despite the fact that both of us kind of have our days, both of us have our rough edges, you and I are both allowed because of the love of the God of grace. And it's before that love, the love of the all-loving Father, that everyone and everything belongs. Amen. We'll take some time to be quiet now. And during that time, uh, then we'll have a song. And during our quiet and our song, I invite you, if you'd like, to write a prayer. There are prayers in that far corner or uh, cue cards where you can write those prayers. Those prayers will be said out loud in our communal prayer time after our song. So that's what we'll do.